Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Amen. Thank you, Brother Chuck. Good morning, everyone. You can be seated. Today is going to be an uh, exciting day here in First Word. I want to say we're so glad that all of you are here. And uh, we have been in the middle of a series called Celebrating Family. And our pastor wanted to do today a panel with our guest speakers, uh, Brother and Sister Huckabee, who are here all the way from Blue Springs, Missouri. They're no strangers to this church. And uh, we're so honored that they're here. They're going to be a part of the panel, and uh, Brother Huckabee's going to be preaching to us at the 11 o'clock. It's going to be an amazing day. But the subject today, as they come, they're welcome to come at this time. The subject today that we are going to be talking through is leading your family through crisis. Leading your family through crisis. Matthew chapter 7 and Luke chapter 6 tell the tale of two homes. Everybody say two homes. One home that was built on the sand and one home that was built on a rock. The reality of that story is this. No matter your background, no matter if you're in the church, out of the church, where you come from, no matter who you are, storms come to everyone. Somebody say amen. Bible says in Matthew 5, it rains on the just and the unjust. We are not exempt in this room from crisis, from storm, and uh, adversity in your life. H how many of you have ever been through some crisis in your life? And uh, this, this panel is going to be uh, very beneficial, uh, I believe, to everybody in this room. And we're, we're so honored that, that the Huckabees and Pastor and Sister Bounds are going to be uh, leading us through this today. Aren't, aren't, we, aren't we honored that they're here, they've taken time to do this? And so we're going we're gonna to start just right into, right into our questions this morning. Pastor, you talk about, um, you talk, it's, on, it's weird talking up here and sitting in a chair. I'm just going to tell you that to begin with. But uh, you talk about uh, making decisions before you get into the situation. Um, can you talk about maybe the importance of that, why that's so necessary, especially when it comes to crisis? Absolutely. Um, I'll never forget, and, and it's football season for the Ohio State Buckeye fans. Notre Dame who? Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget one year, I think it was Michigan. Let's just say it was Michigan. And uh, I don't know, the, the team up north. There you go. And. I think it was Michigan. I don't know who they were playing, but they were on their own 20-yard line. She said Appalachian State. I'm not sure if that's who it was. She probably does remember. And uh, they're on their own 20-yard line and in the first quarter. It's four and one, and they go for it. And they didn't get it. And the other team only has 20 yards to score and they score and the momentum shifted right there and I was talking to a coach uh, and I said what in the world were they thinking he said listen he said there's some decisions you make before you get on the field yeah. he said because when emotions are high you'll make dumb decisions yeah. 
And so with that point being made, life, you are going to have crisis. There's going to be unexpected situations. I mean, if your family is like Ohio weather, it's warm today and gone tomorrow. And But preparing, if you were in Florida, you, I mean, it's like a pinball machine down there on the Gulf. But if you're there, you know at some point a hurricane's coming. You don't, you don't plan, figure out what you're going to do when they say in 12 hours from now the hurricane's going to hit. No, when you make a plan, if ever a hurricane hits, this is what we're going to do. You don't wait till it's 100 mile per hour winds and your roof is blowing off. And I think sometimes issues with families is we don't prepare for storms that are certainly going to come. Just because you're in the church does not mean, it does not mean you're not going to have any storms, any tragedies, any issues. I've, I have preached funerals of people that lost children. I have, and it was unexpected. I've seen people lose loved ones, unexpected. And if a spouse loses, if a couple loses a child, they have a 70% chance of a divorce. 70% chance. Pastor, why are you talking about these things today? Because I believe in a family, we've got to stand on his word and base decisions based upon the word of God so that when the storm comes, the house doesn't blow over, the family doesn't fall away, that we know exactly what to do because God is our strength. How many know he's our strength? How many would say today he is our source? He's the help in a time of trouble. The verse says, lift your eyes up on the hills which come with your help. Your help comes from the Lord. And there's going to be moments in life, whether financial, whether family, or she starts changing, or he starts changing. And so one of the things is, just in the start of this, is that in marriage, and this is a marriage weekend, we had a tremendous marriage retreat. We hope next year that you'll all be able to come Pastor and Sister Huckabee have done an amazing job on Friday and Saturday morning, just blessed us all. But there are three, three high risks of divorce in a couple, three on a timeline of marriage when you have a high risk to get divorced. Number one high risk divorce is when the first baby comes home. You think that bring you together, but it doesn't. That little thief that came into your house. Eating all your food, eating all your time, eating all your sleep. Can I get a witness from some mamas in the building? Dads don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but boy meets girl, girl meets boy, they fall in love. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely amazing. And then you've got a baby there that's now taking all the attention. And it is a high risk for divorce. Second high risk of divorce in a marriage is it's when the last baby leaves home, goes away to college, gets married, and uh, empty nesters. And so how do you prepare for that? Um, and the third high risk is midlife crisis. He looks over his shoulder and he sees he's got less time left than he's spent. He's feeling weak, so he goes and buys a motorcycle. Yellow Corvette. He wants to feel young again. And she's been flashing for 10, 10 years. Menopause. I thought that was funny, but nobody's <laughs> laughing. Her body's changing, and they're different than what they were when they got married. Yeah. And it becomes a high risk. What are you going to do? And that's sort of the point today. 
What are you going to do in those moments when the house is quiet and the kids aren't there? What are you going to do in those moments when the first baby? What are you going to do when your body's not what it was when you first got married? And I'm telling you, you can, you can start out with a plan that says when we come to this moment, this is what we're going to do. Or we're going to prepare for that moment to happen. And I do believe God can give us wisdom, don't you? Just not being an emotional couple, but having a plan for what we're going to do in these seasons. Everybody say seasons. Season. Season. Anybody here ever had a tough season? Yeah, yeah. And we want to believe that God's going to give us the wisdom for that. Brother Huckabee, you mentioned a story last night about wildfires. Um, would you just talk to that when it comes to being prepared for? Sure. I, uh, uh, Brother Bounds uh, mentioned uh, during, uh, during his comments just about this storm coming. I'm, I'm going to make two comments here. One is a scriptural reference that I alluded to yesterday uh, in our marriage retreat. Uh, the Bible says that the wise man built his house on the sand, uh, or I'm sorry, the foolish man built his house on the sand, and the wise man built his house on the rock. Um, but if we take a closer look at the text, do we really know who the better builder is? Do we know who has the better home? Uh, do we know initially while we're building which, which is the better geographic location to build in? I mean, who doesn't want to have a condo on the beach? And so if we look at our building, we don't know who the better architect was, and we don't know who the better constructionist is. Uh, we don't know who's the better handyman. The only way that the skill of the builder is revealed or even the error of the location, I wonder, I wonder how long they lived in that house because we don't have a time allotment. I mean, how long did they live in the house where the sand is the footing? How long did he live in the higher elevation where the stone is the basis for his home? We don't know. I mean, how many days did they rock along and the guy with the condo on the beach is looking up at the guy with the house in the mountains and goes, you're an idiot. You know, you carried all that wood up there. You carried all your tools up there. You spent all that time building that edifice up in the mountains. You're an idiot. I'm down here. I'm done six months before you are. You know what reveals the builder? is the storm and the storm's coming and the storm is the great revealer on what you've built the pastor said we don't build on emotion we build on principle and if you build on principle when the storm comes you'll be able to navigate the storm because you built with this day in mind that the great the great revealer is inevitably coming there's a story about uh, the California wildfires and there was a, an architect uh, who had built his home and the wildfires came and it consumed every other home in the valley he lived in and so uh, at really the end of this tragedy while firemen are putting out fires all around his home 
He's sitting on the porch drinking tea. And the news media shows up and they interview him. And they say, how did your house survive when no one else's home in this entire valley survived this fire? And he said, well, I'm a builder. He said, I'm an architect. He said, when I moved here, I insulated my house and I used fire-resistant products. I built this house with this day in mind. I knew a wildfire would come. And so I built my house every day knowing that this day would happen. The truth is that the storm is coming. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Trouble will visit your marriage. It'll visit your family. That every person in this room will have to navigate a crisis moment. But if you are building now principally, not on emotion, but on principles, then you can build with the day of your crisis in mind. And that season, while it will be difficult to navigate, you will survive that season and live to flourish because you built with the crisis in mind. So I think with this, with this next question comes maybe some practical tools of how to build uh, in the right way, in the right place. To Brother and Sister Huckabee both, could you tell us um, about uh, a crisis that has occurred in your life and what you did right, and if you could go back, what you would do differently? Well, um, when I was 30 years old, which was when we came here, um, my dad, who had been pastor all of my life, resigned the church. Uh, we had about two weeks notice that that was going to happen, and um, a lot of financial fallout. Uh, we lost two houses. We lost all of our friendships in where I'd been raised. Um, our network, our support system. We joined, we signed up for welfare. We signed up for WIC. We um, had just moved into our beautiful dream home and uh, had a bright future ahead. And in two weeks, it all changed. And uh, the things that I heard about myself, I, I didn't know, you know, people thought that way. And uh, it was people that mattered. And so, that is not the same as losing a child, going through cancer, or any any kind of hard, difficult disease. I, I don't want to sit up here and have a pity party because there are probably worse trials, but the emotional impact that it had on me uh, made me question my identity, made me question a lot of things. Um, everything felt unsure. I questioned whether God was in control or man was in control. And never in my life had I questioned that. God had always been in control. And it felt like man was in control. And so I didn't know how to handle those things. You know, there's practically, there's things that I probably shouldn't have done. I look back, emotional reactions, um, saying and defining situations before time had revealed what was really going on. I didn't have clear perspective always. 
and and so I made some decisions, probably not bad decisions, but just based on a lack of information. And um, we were trying to figure out who to turn to. Brother Brown, Sister Brown came in our life, helped us through that difficult time. But I would say that what worked and what anchored me is definitely what we've already talked about. All of my life I worshiped. All of my life I, I tried my best to obey the word, walk with the Lord, hear his voice, let him guide. And it was a storm. I couldn't see clearly, but he was there. He was there before, and he had spoken and given me words that I didn't understand. And in the middle of it, they made sense. I could go back to it. And the word of God, you know, it's forever settled, and it settled me. Because one thing I knew is that I have to, the will of God, there had actually been a tongues and interpretation a month before all that happened, and it, it said the will of God is within the principles of my word. And so I knew that if nothing else, I just have to stay in the principles of the word. Don't cross a principle. Don't make excuses. Obey. Die out. Do whatever you have to do to obey the Lord. And I really believed at the beginning of that that he was going to come through. He was going to be my defender. He was going to make it all right. And sometimes um, we're going to believe for the miracle, for the healing, and, and or whatever it is in our crisis. And Sometimes he does, and it's a quick thing. And other times it's a very long journey. And um, for me, all of those things that I really wish I had right at the beginning took a long time before I received those. And I, I needed affirmation from the Lord constantly. And in that need for affirmation, I tried to get it in other ways, probably. Um, and then I began to define myself by what the enemy would say about me and about my situation sometimes. And I had to work through that. And it, I felt surrounded. There were private battles, every side, finances, family, church. And, and I couldn't seem to work through all of it at once. And it would just come out in little stages. Um, I, don't, I'm, wanna, I wanna say something helpful. So in that, I had to just let the Lord, one day at a time, walk me through it. But as I focused on each issue, my mind would stay focused on it too long. So if I could go back, I would turn and magnify the Lord more. And I would take my thoughts captive that were not fruitful or productive. And I would not let that consume me and just, I worshiped through it. And I was hurting and, and, and reeling and trying to figure it out. But where the enemy probably worked on me the most was in my mind. It caused a lot of anxiety, caused a lot of depression. And when I, and when I got help spiritually and with counseling, I realized that trying to control that better, um, taking the thoughts captive, guarding the peace of God. Brother David Smith comes here. He came and their family prayed for me for the peace of God. And it was like a guard. Um, was posted in my spirit and every time that anxiety would come on me it was standing there pushing it back where it couldn't cripple me anymore and it started turning um, my direction uh, my growth my healing I don't I'm sorry for not having the words but I would just say stand on the word protect your mind don't define yourself by your storm um, God sees you if there's anything I've learned and I would pass on as you are his 
and he's going to take care of you, and no weapon formed against you is going to prosper, and every tongue that will rise against you in judgment, you will condemn. He will walk with you through fire. The flood will not overwhelm you. He is with you, but it doesn't come from anybody but him and his word. That's what got us through. Um, I, I would say a couple of things <clears throat> that I would just warn against, and I, uh, I tried to do this. So I would say similar situation, similar crisis. Uh, the scripture says um, you don't open the gate till the sun's high. So in the Old Testament, when a person would approach the gate of a city, the guard who sat in the gate would look to identify whomever it was that was making entrance to the city. If that person showed up at night and you couldn't see them, you couldn't let them in. I don't care who they are. I don't care how loud they bang on the gate. I don't care how loud they get. You don't let them in. You know why? Because the sun's not hot. And in the absence of the sun, you cannot see clearly. If there is fog in the morning, you don't open the gate. I don't care who's out there trying to get in. Because the sun has not lifted high enough to burn the fog from the morning and you can't identify what is behind that person because you don't know if whom that is that's trying to get in the gate has an army behind them. And the truth is, they may be trying to seed your city. And so unless there is clarity, you don't make a decision that can be life-altering. And people end up in tragedy because in a crisis, they make a life-altering decision and they marry somebody or they do something or take a step that is life-altering in the middle of a crisis and they need to wait until the sun's hot and they can evaluate everything that is beyond the door. And so uh, I, I, think, I think the challenge can be in a, on a personal level uh, I remember someone coming to me during the crisis, uh, maybe that had a little lesser value system and appealed to us and said, you know, Huck, you're, you know, where you draw your boundaries are too strong. And so you're going to need to, you're going to need to change some of that. Some of the things and values that you have are a little archaic. That's not the word they use. It's outdated. You probably should not draw your boundaries there. And I remember saying to them then, you might be right, I don't know. But here's what I do know, is I'm in the middle of a crisis and I am not changing one thing during this crisis. When I get through it, we can evaluate how we're gonna move forward. But as far as the decision goes right now, I'm staying right where I am until the fog clears.
And, and right in right in line with that, Pastor and Sister Bounds. Uh, hey, some, Cody, let yeah, me say this too. Let me. And hey, here, here's 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 part of the problem: is you go through a crisis, it's not the time to change churches. You go through a little crisis, and it don't seem. I'm gonna tell you something. There isn't when you're in a crisis and you're hurt. There isn't anybody that's gonna do everything right. And I don't care where you go to church. I don't care what you do. You have a wounded spirit. And you cannot filter everything that is transpiring through your wound. And whether you like it or not, that's what you do. I watched, I watched someone who was injured that came in, sat on the same pew next to the same people every single week for years in our church. And he had a knee replacement. They, he came in first. I mean, we are creatures of habit. We live in patterns. And he came in, sat on that pew. He was the first one in the pew. It just so happened that one week that a lady came in, same lady that sat with the same family every single week. She brushed by the same man. Here's a problem. This week he's wounded. He wasn't last week. And he yells and responds, not based on the action, because it's the same action that's transpired for the last 20 years. It's the newly developed wound in him that causes him to respond differently. And we have crisis moments, and the very same thing that's been going on, the very same behavioral patterns have been there for 20 years, but we are reacting out of a wound, and, not, and that's where we can't react. We got to stay in our place, not make any decisions, and not react out of a moment of crisis because a wound has been incurred. And we wait until we're healed and then we can make a decision. I think something that, that comes up with, within this is trying to find clarity in the midst of crisis. Uh, Pastor and Sister Bounds. Um, what would you say, com communication is such a key thing, but also within the nature of a man is to kind of recluse um, uh, and men and women handle those things very differently. What, what would you say when it comes to trying to find clarity in the midst of crisis? How do we communicate with our leaders, with our spouse? Uh, how, do we, how do we navigate through that? I think... I think, again, you have to have had some, for instance, if there's going to be moments you're going to get on each other's nerves. And, uh, I mean, in our case, I'm the uh, only really? problem. And, uh, really? But for everybody else in the room. <laughs> no, there's going to be moments that, there's going to be moments of loss. There's going to be moments of pain. There's going to be moments of indifference. And it's like one preacher said, he said, we made a vow we would never say the word divorce. Mm -hmm. He said, we thought murder several times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, in those moments, you, I, and I've been teaching on Sunday mornings at 10 about what you say and the power of a spoken word. I think, I think it's dangerous that you think it's okay to speak, speak different when you're angry. Well, I was just, I was mad. Uh, it's, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't weigh. It still weighs. It doesn't matter how mad you were. Uh, well, I was, I was, I was depressed. I was sad. It doesn't matter. The emotion. You've got to make a covenant with your tongue. That in those moments you're going to love. Well, I, I don't feel like I love you. Well, speak love. 
because emotion, love is not an emotion, it's emotional. And you, when you get married, you, you are in covenant. And you say before the, the preacher, before God, and all this company of witnesses, you say, for better or crisis, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, only unto you so long as we both shall live. And in that covenant, what you're saying is, I'm going to speak love in the bad times and the good times. When I'm emotionally feeling good about this, when I don't feel any emotion at all, you got to still speak life. You got to still communicate. And just because you're having a crisis or a bad day doesn't mean everything stops. You got to still move on and be who you are. Aren't you glad the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Amen. He never changes. He said, I'm the Lord. I change not. Now look at your neighbor. You are going to change. Yeah. But you've got to make some covenants about what you're going to speak and say in these moments. What would you say? Communication is so important, but we have to be very careful when we do it. I think this, especially for ladies, um, when there is an issue, we want to talk through it right then. And oftentimes for men, they need time. And so we have to learn, if, if you push it and you want, no, I want to do it right now. We're going to talk about it right now. You get the wrong response. And they need time. And so communication is, is necessary, but timing is also key. And so I also would say refrain from words like always and never. You never do this. You always do this. It's just not true. But it's our emotions. We're, we're emotional. And um, you can't take back words that you've spoken. So be slow to speak especially in intense moments because you can't, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and sometimes um, some things are left that are pondered in your heart. And um, I honestly think timing is the best thing. If you're going through a crisis and you need to talk through it, um, you need to set a time. We're going to talk about it. We're going to go out tonight. We're going to meet tonight. Set a time, and, and you all can have your time of prayer and and meditation on things you want to say, but doing it in the moment, um, things are said that would be better left unsaid, and um, it's just not good. So I think timing is really important with communication. I, you know, there, uh, one of the things that uh, was said here in, in regard to communication is uh, I do think that we we have to communicate clearly. I made this statement yesterday <clears throat> is that one of the things I found about my wife um, is that she hates it when I start with that. One of the things I found about my wife, and she goes, oh, Lord, this is going to be good, um, is that sometimes she needs to talk. She don't need me to do anything. She just needs to talk about it. And I hate that. I mean, you know, I pastor, I uh, taught school. I mean, if a kid comes to you with a problem, you fix the problem. You don't just sit all day there yakking of rehearsing the problem. I mean, why identify the problem if you're not going to fix the problem? Oh, no, it don't work that way. I told Natalie one day, I told this yesterday, I told Natalie one day, I said, if I came into this room 
and I said, uh, my, my T-shirts are dirty. Uh, you know what? My T-shirts are dirty. Uh, my my T-shirts aren't aren't clean. You know, I was walking through the room a while ago, and uh, I noticed that the laundry basket is full of dirty T-shirts. Do you know that my T-shirt is dirty? Hey, do you, do you know, like, my T-shirts, I'm getting ready to go on a trip, and my T-shirts are dirty. I went to my chest of drawers, and I noticed that the T-shirts were dirty. They're uh, I said, you know what she, I said, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go over there. You're going to get all those t-shirts. You're going to go throw them in the washer and you're going to turn around and say, okay. And I'm going to say, no, babe, I didn't want you to do the laundry. I just wanted to talk about my dirty t-shirts. <laughs> and that, that's, that's the difference in the communication styles of men and women is that for us, if you want to talk about something, it is a desire for us to uh, do something to fix the problem. I think if men are fixers, then they should just wash the shirts. <laughs> Sorry, I thought we needed a little humor. Sorry. What if we've never used a washer? What, yeah. <laughs> I did wash and shrunk her clothes. <laughs> her clothes shrinking have never been the problem. <laughs> Mine shrinking happens all the time, no matter who's washing. <laughs> I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> I'll add to it, maybe bring it back, but um, there's a balance. He um, sometimes was not in the mood for me to go into it. And sometimes I opened Pandora's box by going into it because all the emotions were let out and I had to work through them all over again and it was a lot. Yeah. It's one thing if I fall and scrape my knee, but it, it was more than that. And, and then I wasn't sure, I was insecure in my assessment. I didn't know if I was viewing it the right way. So we'd just go round and round. Well, you know, he's tired of that. And so timing and putting limits on it and uh, not focusing too much on the negative does matter. Also, his empathy mattered. Otherwise, he felt to me like he was being cold or harsh or uncaring, and I really needed his support during that time. But we both had to have some balance there. I couldn't just do this all day long because it was in my emotions. I couldn't just talk about it all day long and weigh him down. And even though I'm working through it in my spirit, I'm trying to get my head around it. You know, I didn't need to do that to him. I don't know if that makes sense. So we both had to work on handling ourselves and how we reacted to it. And I think with that comes an importance in recognizing in the middle of crisis your position in regards to one another. Um, you're not facing one another, combating one another. You're, you're kind of like this. You're together and the problem's out here. You're working together, trying to solve an issue. The issue is not one another. The issue is, is out here. And if you can keep working together, then we can get somewhere. How many know sometimes at moments it's difficult because of communication or different reasons to, to maintain that position? Amen. Uh, but we have to maintain that as, as, a, as a husband and wife and family. Pastor, you... Um, uh, provided uh, so much clarity at a moment 
uh, in my wife and I's life um, by just a simple phone call. Um, it was uh, for you, uh, for me, you were a leader outside of the situation, uh, but just, I cannot tell you what your voice did for just me. And it's almost like in that moment you need somebody to think for you or tell you what you're going to do and how you're going to live. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to just the importance, and any, anybody can weigh in on this, can you talk to the importance of, of having a, a, a voice in your life, a, a, not only the voice of your spouse, but, but a leader, somebody that can provide some clarity and voice? Sure. Uh, Proverbs says, where there's no counsel, people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. You need somebody in your life that wants nothing out of you except your success. For you to become fruitful, productive, the best life. I've been blessed with that. I've got voices in my life that they're not going to counsel me for their narrative or what they can get out of me. And I know that it is a trusted place that all they want is to me to be my best to succeed, to get through that. And when you have a voice that you can trust, and uh, it's very key, but if you do not have counsel, uh, probably, probably in 16 years of pastoring here, almost 20 years of pastoral ministry in Zanesville, the crisis that I've seen that has been uh, the hardest repercussions were those that said, well, uh, I didn't want you to think less of me, I didn't want you to know what was going on. I just figured we would work it out. And it didn't work out because they didn't know what to do. They were embarrassed that somebody would know that they're having a moment of weakness. But you've got to have a trusted place. And I hope you could find that in the pastoral team here. Um, if not, there are professional counselors. There are sometimes, and she said it earlier, and thank you for saying it, because you said through counsel, getting counsel, uh, I mean, Listen, folks, these are cream of the crop people. Some of the wisest, sincere, righteous, worshiping leaders. And they had a crisis. And in that moment, they did seek counsel. And from godly counsel, I'm just going to tell you, you do not want to seek ungodly counsel. That's right. I'm not... I'm not going to some scientist to tell me how to live my righteous life. Right. Some educated atheist or agnostic to tell right. me how to live. If they're not a Christian counselor, don't pay the bill and don't waste your time. Right. I'm going to let that sink in. God has given us what we need in his word. Amen. And have, we have people among us. We have people around us with God. Psalms 1. I feel boldness coming up on me right now. You don't need a psychic. You don't need a horoscope. Right. You need the Holy Ghost. Right. Holy Ghost filled. Spirit led. Gives to the Spirit. Somebody that's not just walking down step one, two, three, but can say, I have been praying over this situation, and this is what I feel. Gathered with life wisdom. Gathered, gathered with biblical principles. I don't want somebody without biblical principles counseling my children, my wife, or the people that I pastor. Right. Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, well, nor sitteth in the way of sinners, nor sit, standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
I'm going to seek counsel from someone that knows the law of God, the word of the Lord, biblical principle. Oh, I think there ought to be a hearty amen here. Show me his word. Show me his path. Show me his direction. What does God have for my life? Amen. And I would say seek godly counsel. Have the right people. And I think everybody needs a pastor. And everybody needs a friend, a confidant. And I would say if your spouse can't talk to you about it, they're going to talk to somebody about it. Yep. And if they can't, you're not a safe place. You've got to have a safe I wish you'd stretch your hands toward the Lord and say, God, I want to be a safe place. Lord, I want to be a safe place for my wife, for my children, for my peers, a confidant. Lord, I want to be a safe place as a pastor. Somebody can come and say, I've got to talk. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I can tell you as a pastor... There are things I've had people to open up to me that I've never told anybody else in the world. And it's stuff I will take to the grave and to the Lord. Because sometimes in life, we've got to get it out of here. Lay it out on the table. And say, I don't know what to do with this. But when it's in here, how many know sometimes it's a muddy mess inside of us? But if we can just get it out in a safe place, most people work it out themselves. If they can just get it in a safe place and see it. But when it's here, it's just... It's just swirling around in circles. There's a touch of the Lord here. You're going to get through that crisis. You're going to get through the one that you're in, and you're going to get through the one that's coming out, going to come into your life. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but I will be with you even until the end. I'm telling you, don't let the crisis make you think God is absent. Let me know he's in the storm. He's the one that's going to take us through the storm. He's going to be with us when the storm is over. Let there be a hearty amen. amen. Brother Huckabee, you mentioned the story about Noah um, at the end of a storm. Um, uh, maybe just some final closing thoughts. Uh, every, you know, it's a song, it's a lyric, but it's, it's very true. Every storm runs out of rain. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say advice for, for the end of that storm and how, how to move forward? I, you know, I, we, I, we are t- t- this morning our emphasis primarily has been on what happens with the storm. But the truth is, and I'm going to preach about this at 11, but uh, the storm has an ending. You're in the storm now, but the storm's going to be over. This will not last always. You're coming out. You know, we, we, can, we can start rehearsing our tragedies over and over, and we get in this cyclical motion of just going through in our minds a tragedy and a tragedy and Tragedy perpetuates tragedy, and we think it's never coming to an end. But the truth is there's coming a day that it's going to be over. The light's going to come back on, and you're going to step into the path to blessing. Noah Noah gets through the ark. I, I don't know that we know what Noah went through. Yeah, I, I'm going to say this. 
and, and, I, and I know my time's short here, but I, I want to say this, is that I probably failed as a husband and a leader in my home by not getting someone to talk to Natalie sooner. Now, she had wonderful apostolic people around her, but she really needed someone to help talk her through how to cope with the crisis. And I wasn't adequate for that job. I can love her, but I don't know that I can talk to her about coping with the crisis. I wonder who talked to Noah about coping with the crisis. Pastor Noah, with a hammer and a word, built a boat that would save the world. And I wonder how many relationships was forged in that community when people come out to watch him build. I wonder how many hardwares that he forged relationship with the proprietors when he bought supplies to build the ark. His word, the storm's coming. I wonder how many of those people that when he heard the nails scratch the door that had been closed by God's hand, I wonder how that affected him emotionally. Because while he's floating above the earth, still forged in his mind is those families, those close connections, the people from his community that he had forged relationships with, they were all dead. And life as he knew it was over, and his daughter-in-law's families had perished in the flood, his own family members had perished in the flood, and his relationships had been created in the building perished in the flood. Who counseled Noah? And Noah got off the ark, and Noah did what Noah knew to do. And the Bible said Noah built an altar. Now, we believe that the rainbow is a response to the flood. But the rainbow is a covenant not in response to the flood. Go back and read the text. The rainbow is a response to the altar. Now, I'm going to jump off here and just make a little parenthetical statement. Is we got communities in our world right now that's saying that the, the rainbow is the sign of their personal freedoms. But the truth is that the rainbow never was a sign for personal freedom. Rainbow was a sign of someone who was dying on the altar. And so he came out and he built an altar and God responded to the altar. And the Bible said, God said, the ground is going to bring forth. You're going to have my favor. I'm going to give you the rainbow. And I'm never going to curse the earth again with water. And you're going to be blessed, Noah. You and your family is going to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the ground's going to give up its fruitfulness. And you're going to be blessed. And the next thing we read is that Noah walks out in the middle of a vineyard that he planted and he's blessed. Here's the problem. Is that in the middle of his blessing, he didn't build his second altar. In fact, we never read that Noah built another altar. He built an altar in his crisis, but he didn't build an altar in his blessing. And the phrase says, and Noah began to be a husbandman. 
Noah stopped being an altar builder in his crisis and he started being a husbandman in his blessing. And there's not one more recorded blessing added to Noah's life when he stopped building altars. I want to help you. Is that you build altars in crisis. And the truth is we frequently navigate crisis better than we navigate blessings. Because in crisis we build an altar to survive. But in the middle of our blessing we start thinking that our fruitfulness is the byproduct of our own planting. And it is not. It is the favor of God that caused the ground to bring forth fruit. And we have a responsibility to build an altar in the second blessing so that we can perpetuate blessing. You'll probably respond pretty good in your crisis. But what are you going to do when God makes you fruitful? What are you going to do when the ground gives up its fruit and you start living in perpetual blessing and you have covenants? What are you going to do? You're going to go right back and build another altar because that altar is going to decide whether you have another season of blessing or not. I think let's stand together. Feel the Lord here. There's a touch of God in the room. Pastor Huckabee, if you if you would, I, I, I'd just like for you to close us out in prayer. Say a prayer over us. Would Why you lift you your take hands your neighbor by the hand all over the room? Holy Ghost is in this house. By the authority in the name of Jesus, by the power of the word of God. I pray over every family in this room, over every individual that is navigating a season of struggle. I pray, God, that you would visit them supernaturally. I pray, God, over their mind, over their heart, over their spirit, over their homes, and over their children. Let us be a generation of altar builders that in the middle of our crisis, we build something that brings the favor of God and perpetuates fruitfulness. I pray, Holy Ghost, move in this room today and do what no other power can do. And we give you praise and glory. Would you lift your hands and just magnify the Lord? Praise God. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for direction today, oh God. We honor you. We acknowledge you today, oh Lord. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. One more time, let's clap our hands and thank God. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.